Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Turn there with me if you have a Bible or pull it up on your Bible app. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done it all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with per- with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Good morning, guys. Thanks for joining us. My name is Steve, and I am the lead pastor here at Trailhead Church. I am deeply honored that you are joining us this morning on uh, Vimeo or, or Facebook, um, however you are turning, tuning in. Uh, I would encourage you to go ahead and like our uh, our social media feeds, right? Go ahead and, and like our Facebook page and, and our Twitter and, and our Instagram. Uh, we push out information. It's a great way to stay connected throughout the week. We push out information about our church. We push out ways to pray. We push out stuff to help encourage you. And I would encourage you to go ahead and connect with us that way. Um, I do want to let you know as well that we have some important events coming up. Um, we are working actively toward opening up the building for gathering so that uh, we've been doing our driveway gatherings and our backyard gatherings and we're kind of moving into phase two of this plan where we are working toward gathering in our building. I sent out some information about that in our newsletter this week, uh, but I want you to mark your calendars. We're working towards September 13th. Uh, people will have to register in order to uh, to attend, and, and we'll be putting out some information about that. That just helps us um, keep everything safe and all the rest of it. But just wanted to give you a heads up about that. Also, just encourage you to uh, be praying for our team. Um, Lori is on vacation this week, and uh, it is well-deserved. Uh, she hasn't seen her family in a year and a half uh, because uh, she got sick over the holidays, wasn't able to go. Um, so, man, I would encourage you, pray for, for Lori, our executive director, uh, that, that this would be a time of refreshment and joy. Um, and uh, she's in New Jersey, and, and I just read this morning that uh, for whatever reason, because of some crazy current, there's a bunch of lice that have been washed up on the beach. So pray she's protected from that as well. Um, also, uh, Brian, our worship leader, is in Arizona. Uh, he is doing a vision trip. He's, I think he's got 13 people with him. Um, but remember, Brian, we're working towards sending him out as a church planter. That's been something we've been working on for about a decade. Um, but he is in Arizona and um, in the Phoenix area. Be praying for him. Be praying that the Spirit would, would open up doors and make things clear. He has, he has huge decisions to make about, about partnerships and, and, and um, all kinds of things, and, uh, and, and safety as well, obviously, uh, 
Um, they're in an area where, where uh, the COVID spread's pretty high, and so I uh, would love for you to be praying for his safety and the safety of his team, but also that God would be making it very clear about next steps for them. Uh, all right, one more note. Parents, I hope you're paying attention. If your kids are making noise, listen to me, okay? Um, I was asked, because of the nature of the way this works, I know a lot of you have your kids with you when you're watching the sermon, I'm giving you a heads up that there are going to be some elements in today's sermon that are PG-13, and uh, if you don't really want to have those conversations with your kids, uh, I'll try to give you a warning as it's coming up, but I'm just letting you know up front. Um, there's some stuff that, that I believe the Lord is leading me to say that um, you may not want the littles in the room uh, for those conversations, all right? So today we're going to be talking about putting on our final piece of armor, okay? We're going to be putting on our final piece of defensive armor, the helmet of salvation. Uh, now, thanks to Mr. Cosplay here, I can give you a visual of what the full armor looks like, right? This guy's got shiny, shiny armor. Uh, of course, in the ancient world, it wasn't always shiny chrome. It could have been leather or, or other forms of metal. Um, but we talked about putting on the different pieces, right? We talked about putting on the belt of truth. We talked about putting on the breastplate of righteousness. For shoes, we talked about putting on the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Last week, we took up the shield of faith. And, and if you missed these sermons, um, I get it, right? I get it. It's, it's July, or it was, and, um, and it's a pandemic, and whatever. But I would encourage you to go back and listen to them, because I believe that they, um, you know, God has given me some, some stuff to say to us in this specific time. Today, we're going to be talking about putting on the helmet of salvation. Now, the helmet is obviously a critical piece of armor, right? There's a scene in Saving Private Ryan, um, which is, uh, some of you are like, what is that? Um, that was like one of the, the first major war movies that came out way, way back in the day. Uh, Tom Hanks. And, but anyway, there's a scene in Saving Private Ryan where there's an American soldier sitting in a foxhole and, and um, a bullet ricochets off of his helmet. And he's like, He's so shocked and he takes off his helmet and he's looking at it and he's like, he's like amazed. And while he's looking at it, he gets shot in the head. Um, the helmet is critically important. And y'all, it's critically important not just to have it, but to have it on your head. Okay? That, that's a, that is just a fundamental truth of warfare. Right? It is not enough to have your helmet. It's like the guy riding his mountain bike on crazy trails with his helmet strapped to a seat post or something. It needs to be on your head. And in this spiritual battle, there are some of you that are tempted not to wear your helmet. Now, the people that aren't wearing the helmet, and this is, this is true in times of prosperity. It is true in times of, of when, when things just seem calm. Last week we talked about how easy it is to, man, that shield of faith, just to set it aside and kind of forget you're on a battlefield and think you're on a, uh, out for a picnic, right? And that helmet can be so, you know, just take that off and, and set it aside. I think there are some of us that, that have forgotten we're on a battlefield. That's part of the deceptiveness of this kind of battle. The enemy wants you to think he's nowhere around when he's exactly around and ready to strike. And you need to have the helmet on your head. Some of you aren't there with no helmet, right? So relaxed, so like, you know, like still digging the whole pandemic thing. Like, like oh my goodness, I love that I get to work from home. I love, right? Some of you aren't there. Some of you honestly... Um, you're in danger 
of, uh, of not just taking off the, the right helmet, but putting on the wrong one. Uh, you're in danger of, of um, putting on a helmet that, that isn't the helmet of salvation. And, and I'm going to tell you something, that actually is more dangerous for you and honestly for others. Because the helmet of salvation doesn't just protect your head. It clears your mind. Right? The helmet of salvation protects your head. But it also clarifies your vision. Because the battlefield is deceptive. Remember, we are called to stand against the schemes of our enemy. We are called to withstand in this evil day. There is dust being kicked up. And the enemy's primary weapon against us is deception. Right? He's not coming at us uh, with weapons that are obvious. He's coming at us with weapons because his primary goal ultimately isn't necessarily to destroy us, it's to get us to destroy ourselves. And so the battlefield is fundamentally deceptive and the helmet of salvation doesn't just protect your head. It protects your mind in the midst of the battle. There's a dystopian future series on Netflix called Black Mirror. Um, I've, I've kind of enjoyed that. I like storytelling and I like dystopian technological future things. And, and, uh, and this is a study of, of you know, it's kind of an exploration of how technology uh, can warp humanity, can be used by humanity, it's, and, and it's somewhat reflective of, in fact, how, what it's already doing in our culture. There's one, one episode where you have these brave soldiers who are going out in a battlefield to fight these monsters. And there's no explanation about how the monsters got to earth or, or, or why they're here, or, but they're ugly and they are monstrous. And it is very clear that you must kill the monsters to save humanity. And so these soldiers are going out day after day, risking their lives in this heroic effort. And, and people pat them on the back and celebrate them. And there's so much patriotism around them. Until one day, one of the guys... Um, has an event where, where his helmet is, is taken off. And he gets to see without his helmet and, and without the technology changing his vision. And he realizes that they're not killing monsters, they're killing humans. In fact, what they're doing is hunting down the people that the government has decided are a danger to society and a danger to their power and therefore should no longer exist. Um, that, I think, is a graphic illustration of what happens when we put on the wrong helmet. When we put on the wrong helmet, we fight the wrong battles. And we fight the wrong people. And, and we actually become an enemy of, of what God is trying to accomplish. Listen, we see the mission field as a battlefield. And we start trying to kill people that God's called us to love. That's what happens when we put on the wrong helmet. So, so we're being called to put on the full armor of God. And, and for us to put on the full armor of God, it means we must disarm our own armor, right? So, so what wrong armor do we put on our head, right? What wrong helmet do we put on? As I thought about it, I think there's really only one fundamental wrong helmet, and that's the helmet of worldliness. Now, we've talked a lot about this world in the past, uh, this word in the past, right? Worldliness is this concept that 
that um, when the Bible talks about the world, that, that God so loved the world, or that uh, the world has hated me and it will hate you, uh, that the world is passing away, the Greek word for that, cosmos, doesn't mean the physical terrain underneath our feet. It means the systems that we've created, right? It's that word world, cosmos, is often translated um, an age uh, or, or structure. Uh, it has more to do with the structures we create in order to do life in this world. It's our way of finding life apart from the God who gives it. It's our way of protecting ourselves apart from the God who offers protection. It's our way of establishing our glory instead of relying on the glory of God. It is our way of competing with God instead of relying on God. And we are all fundamentally worldly because we're all born sinners. We're all born trying to be like God instead of humbly dependent on God. That's the helmet we put on, the helmet of performance. The helmet of, of, of proving myself, protecting myself, establishing myself, right? My helmet of self-salvation, right? It is my helmet of, of trying to save myself, deliver myself, prove myself. So there's really only one fundamental false helmet we could put on, but that helmet can look a thousand different ways, depending on the moment, depending on the culture, right? Right now, I think there are like a couple that are really, really clear, right? There's the, the helmet of conspiracy theories, right? Um, some of you are like totally getting caught up in, in man, we got to expose all these conspiracy theories. And, and some of you are like, Steve, come on, man, Steve, Epstein didn't kill himself. All right, maybe he didn't. Yeah, but Steve, did you know that Hillary has, has a, a, a cargo ship with a name that is actually her code name in this other place, which shows that she has a ship that she is using to, to transport people and human trafficking. And, and, and all right, listen, y'all. Um, you know who, who is never taken in by conspiracy theories? You know who's never fooled by this stuff? God. And guess what? You're not God. You were never called to try to figure it all out. There are conspiracy theories. And, and not just theories, conspiracies, right? That, that's part of, of this broken world. I'm not saying there aren't conspiracies around. Um, I, I don't think they're often the ones we're trying to highlight and pick. Um, but I can tell you this, it's not your job to figure it all out, but to rest in the God who can, right? Some of you need to stop going down the rabbit hole because you're in danger of getting swallowed and not coming back up. Some of you are putting on the, the false helmet of partisan politics, Right, that 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 I'm I'm wearing my helmet, especially the closer we get to a presidential election. Few times are more divisive or explosive in our culture than every four years in that presidential election. Um, man, the, the founding fathers built it in so we would have a revolution every four years, so that ultimately we wouldn't destroy ourselves uh, eventually through a huge revolution. Right, but these are turbulent times, and and what ends up happening is is people start thinking, man, I'm a Republican, and and we're God's party. And we've got God's candidate. And we've got God's platform because we're against this evil and this evil is the worst evil. And because we're against that evil, clearly God is for us, right? And other people are like, I'm a Democrat and, and we're God's party, right? Y'all listen to me. You know who doesn't have a candidate in this election? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does not have a candidate in the 2020 presidential election. 
The candidate of the kingdom of God is the Lord Jesus Christ, the king over all things. And he has not yet returned to establish his glory or establish his reign. In the meantime, we are voting for deeply flawed people who are standing on deeply flawed platforms. Bottom line is this. Whoever gets elected is going to do some good and a whole lot of evil. No matter who gets elected. And, and when you vote, you need to be doing it with the humility, recognizing that you're not only voting for some good, but you are going to be unleashing some evil. And, and, and just because you think the good you're voting for is, is better than the good that somebody else is going to do, and the evil, you're, you, you, know, you minimize the evil, whatever, y'all. One thing we should never be is, is prideful as Christians about which earthly candidate we're supporting. The kingdom of God does not have a candidate in this election. And some of you are like, Steve, come on, man. Steve, this stuff is important. Are you telling us that we shouldn't be politically engaged, that we shouldn't be worried about, about, about conspiracies and powerful people doing evil things? And No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we're supposed to check out, that we're not supposed to think, that we're not supposed to be engaged. But I am saying this. You need to put on the right helmet before you engage, or your engagement is going to warp you. You need to put on the right helmet before you engage or the enemy is going to subtly start twisting what is good and make it evil. And in the end, you are going to be doing more harm than you're doing good. So how do we know if we have the wrong helmet on? How do we know? Well, look at your thoughts. Look at where your mind goes when, when it's not occupied. When, when, when your imagination is, has free is free to run. Do your thoughts reflect the humility and the joy, the security and the hope that come from the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? Or do your thoughts instead reflect darkness? Are your thoughts full of anxiety, frustration, self-pity? Listen, y'all, it's pretty easy to know when you're wearing the wrong helmet because you have the wrong thoughts. Right? Let me just summarize it for you. When, when you are wearing the wrong helmet, it, it will provoke thoughts of fear and anger and pride. Right? Fear is, is, is insecurity and anxiety. Right? When you have the wrong helmet on, it magnifies your insecurity. It magnifies your anxiety. It makes you feel less and less secure. And, you, and it provokes you to put your hope in the wrong things to find security. When you put on the wrong helmet, it, it provokes your anger. Right? You feel self-righteously indignant. Right? And what you call justice is actually vengeance and retribution. Right? If, if you were able to bring justice when you're wearing the wrong helmet like that, you wouldn't be bringing justice. You would be unleashing uh, evil probably greater than what you're trying to avenge. Right? Pride. And, and of course, the flip of pride is shame. We've talked about this in previous sermons, that, that pride and shame are actually the same coin, just one is when you're puffed up and the other is when you're crushed down, but it is an, an inappropriate view of self that ultimately seeks to elevate self to the level of God, right? And, and, and when we wear, wear the wrong helmet, it makes us feel superior to others, like, oh, those poor stupid people, look at the stuff they're posting, or it fills us with, with self-abuse and self-pity. Right, where, where we abuse ourselves because we're not where we're supposed to be and we feel filled with self-pity because we're not getting what we think we deserve. All right, I want to tell you a story. Um, I was out running this week, which 
pause. I want you to consider that sentence for a moment. I was out running this week. I haven't done that in a couple decades. I like to ride my bike. I like to hike. I hate, hate, hate to run. Um, people tell me, hey, man, you need to run. It's the best thing ever. You, the runner's high, and, and it's good for your lungs, and, and, and there's no such thing as a runner's body. There's just a runner's mind. And, and I'm like, man, tell that to my bloody toes. I've been working at this for two weeks now, where I've been running five out of the seven days, really pushing myself because I'm training. I'm going to be climbing two 14ers at the end of August, going to Colorado and, and doing two consecutive days where, where I summit two different 14,000 foot summits, and uh, now that I've actually said that out loud, I can't back out and only do one. Um, but uh, I was out running to prepare for this, and and I'm my my legs my legs are are aching, man, because of just days of pain. My lungs are burning because well, because that's what lungs do, and uh, and and I was I was just I'm just going to be honest with y'all, and this is where it's real for because. This isn't just an illustration. This happened this week, and it absolutely fed into my thoughts for this sermon. I was being all kinds of out of sorts with God on this run. I mean, I wasn't really even thinking about it because I wasn't guarding my mind or controlling my thoughts or censoring, you know what I'm saying, like you do. And like when you're in that much pain and you're just focused and you're trying to run, your brain just, you just stop kind of, the filters fall off and the actual thoughts come out. And I was being all out of sorts with God. I was complaining, I was grumbling, I was... And here's the thing, the Lord reminded me of a verse. And it might seem like a funny verse to come to mind, but I'll tell you the story behind it as well. It's Numbers 14, 27. It says this, How long shall the wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Um... The context, I don't need to give you the full context for this verse. It's, it, it, could, it came from a specific period of time, but the reality is this is kind of a, a pattern with God's people, including today, uh, a pattern of, of grumbling. And that word grumbling just doesn't do it for me. Um, honestly, what, what happened as I was running, it, it was one of those weird moments where the Spirit just uh, broke in in kind of a startling way. Um, so I can't hear this voice without hearing it in my pastor's voice. And you're like, your pastor's voice? You're the pastor. No, my, my pastor. My pastor at the journey was Darren Patrick. Um, he's the one who, who envisioned me to church planting. He's the one that sent me out to plant Trailhead Church. The journey is our parent church. Uh, we lost Darren this year in a, in a tragic death. And, uh, and that might be part of what made this so emotionally loaded for me. I don't know. But Darren was a good old boy from Southern Illinois, right? He just, it just leaked out of him. He had that good old boy vibe to him. He was rough. He, he wore umbros to meetings. Um, he, he, he loved four wheeling and, um, uh, <laughs> and when he taught this verse and it stuck with me, when he taught this verse, and y'all, this is where it gets a little PG-13, so if you still have kids, cover their ears or ask them to go away. Um, he, would, he, would, he would say, you know what the Southern Illinois translation of this verse would be? He said, it, it actually means quit your bitching. Quit your bitching. Which is actually a, a very good paraphrase of the Hebrew. Grumbling is such a, I don't know, it's a word that you hear and you're like, oh, that, you know, it doesn't have an impact. But, but the Lord is actually saying that there's something evil happening here, right? 
And that stuck with me. Um, and as I was running, I heard Darren's voice. Come in. Right? Quit your bitching. And it exposed something going on in my heart. And here's the key, y'all. It, it, it wasn't, it was happening in my heart because my heart was being led by my mind. Right? My thoughts were leading my emotions. I wasn't protecting my thoughts. I wasn't protecting my imaginations. I, I wasn't actively putting on my helmet of salvation. In that moment, it was a rebuke. The Spirit was rebuking me. The Spirit will do that. That's called conviction, right? Not condemnation. It wasn't rejection. It was conviction. It was the Spirit coming in and being very specific, right? Here's an area, Steve, you, you need to see and you need to repent, right? But it was more than that. It provided me a piercing moment of clarity to what was happening in my own mind, right? Listen, when you have on the helmet of worldliness, your mind is going to be filled with grumbling and it's going to be confused and it's going to be chaotic and, and there's going to be layers of deception and you're, you're not even going to necessarily know what's going on because that's, that's the way the enemy works, right? In my isolation over the last, what, six years of the pandemic, um, I, I've gotten lazy with my thoughts in some ways. I've allowed the wrong voices to set up camp in my head. Right? And as I was running that day and I was thinking about what are the voices that are echoing around in my head, there were, there were voices of, of anger and self-defense. As, as I relived conversations with critics who attacked me to justify their own choices. There were voices of fear. Um, preaching to an empty room, y'all, is weird. I do not like it and I do not recommend it. And, and there are moments that I wonder, man, when this thing's over, if it's ever over, will there even be anybody left to come back? Um, sometimes it's the voices off of social media. People I haven't seen in 20 years, but for whatever reason, suddenly every other, like every third post is them. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and people posting stupid stuff, and it just, it provokes me, right? It provokes me to pride. It provokes me to fear. It provokes me to anger. What I realized is that I was wearing the helmet of worldliness. Y'all, that's a heavy, heavy helmet to wear. When you're wearing the helmet of, of worldliness, it weighs you down, right? It, it is suffocating. It is heavy. It drains your heart and it drains your energy, right? It makes your whole body droop, right? You're barely standing if you're standing at all. And it was draining my energy, right? It was, it was provoking thoughts of anger and feelings of desperation and filling me with self-pity. And as I was running and as I was praying and I started working my way through repentance, like actually exposing those thoughts and, and, and seeing them for what they were and bringing them to the Spirit, um, uh, suddenly I found myself praying for you. And, and I mean you. Um, there was a whole series of faces that started coming to my mind as I, in, in, and who knows, maybe this is the runner's high. <laughs> maybe this was high, I don't know. But I'm like picturing the battlefield. 
And I'm, I'm seeing many of you on it, like your faces. Some of you, I know your names. Some of you, I just saw your faces, and I, I don't know your names. And I started praying for you. Uh, and ironically, there, there were some people that were standing on the battlefield. Um, they thought they were weak. They thought they were broken, but they were standing What's interesting to me is I think some of the people who have weathered this season the best are people who have suffered. Suffered loss. Some of you, unimaginable loss. Suffered betrayal. Kind of betrayal I can't imagine. But it pushed you to a place of humble dependency where you didn't think you had any strength and as a result you were standing in his strength and I saw you. I saw you. Like you think you're so broken and so weak and I saw you standing and it was glorious, not because of your strength for God, because in your brokenness and in your humility, you were standing in his love. And I saw others lying in the battlefield, exhausted, close to giving up. And it's because you had helmets on like I was wearing. Helmets of self-pity. Or anxiety. Or anger. And I heard the Lord tell me, and again, not audibly, call my people to put on the helmet that I've given them so that they can stand against the schemes of the enemy and withstand this evil day. Call them to put on the helmet. So what is the helmet of salvation? And how do we put it on? Well, the helmet of salvation obviously is self-explanatory. Paul defines the metaphor. It is, it is a helmet, and it is the helmet that salvation uh, that, that what God has done for us in the person and the work of Jesus, right? Paul is speaking about the saving work of Christ through his death and, and his resurrection. Because Jesus died our death and rose again into new life, we are saved, right? We are delivered from the consequences of our cosmic treason against God, right? Jesus was my hero. Because he was my substitute. He took my place in death so that I could join him in his resurrection. So I'm saved, right? Saved from death to life. Saved from rejection from God to eternal blessing with God. And, and that salvation has been given to me freely as a gift of grace through faith, right? God God paid the price for my salvation and then offered me the benefits of, of what he earned free, right? That's grace, just undeserved love, undeserved merit. God, God says, my, my son paid the price, now you receive it by faith, right? He, he extends it to me in love and, and I receive it by simply responding to that love in trust, right? He's not just the Savior, he's my Savior. I receive the gift of salvation when I respond to the offer of salvation with trust in Christ. When, when I say, Lord, my salvation projects ain't doing it. I trust you. 
right? And once I believe, I'm saved, right? Once I believe, I'm saved. I am, I am delivered. Like it is past tense, it is done, right? My sins are left on the cross, and, and I am now covered in his resurrection righteousness. I'm actually covered in the very active obedience of Christ, right? My sins are gone. And what's left is what he's earned and given me. That's a beautiful truth, y'all. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything changes. It's not, now there's a progress where you experience what he's earned more and more, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, is the actual declaration of justification, that you are justified, declared right before God because Christ rose from the dead, and you've received the benefit of that resurrection. You are covered in the very righteousness of Christ. That's a beautiful thing. And once you receive it, you can't lose it, right? You didn't earn it, so you can't unearn it, right? So what does it mean for someone who is already saved, for someone who has already believed the gospel, to put on the helmet of salvation, right? What does it mean for me as a follower of Christ to daily, moment by moment, put on the helmet of salvation if the helmet of salvation has already been given to me because of the victory of Christ. Well, it means this, y'all. It means to let the good news of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his victory over, over this broken world, over my sin, over right the gospel, allow it to protect your mind. We are to crown our heads with the love of God given to us in Christ. The good news of who Jesus is and what he has done to save us should be the first and most important thing we know about everything, about ourselves, about each other, about this broken world, about our successes, about our failures, about the things that have been given to us, about the things that we've lost, all of it. I want to take you to what I think is probably one of the most commonly quoted verses in the entire scripture to kind of drive this home. It's John three sixteen uh, and 17. It says, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Beautiful, beautiful, simple verses. There are three principles that I want to draw out of this. First, putting on the helmet of salvation silences our pride and calms our shame. Right? When, we, when we put on the helmet of salvation, it silences our pride and calms our shame. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Right? For God so loved you. Right? You could put your name right there. The world there uh, indicates all of the people of the world. Right? It indicates all the people who have created the worldly structures of this world. God so loved every individual created in his image even though we're marred by sin, that he gave his son. For God so loved Steve, that he gave his son. That simple phrase is enough to humble my pride and lift my shame. How bad off was I? So bad that my redemption and restoration required the eternal son of God to become man live the perfect life I could never live and die the death I deserve to die and then rise again with a victory I could never claim. That's how sinful I am. 
That's how broken the image of God is within me because I have committed cosmic treason, rejected God to compete with God and tried to be like God. If that doesn't humble me, nothing will, right? That humbles me. When I start to feel superior to all of those idiots out there, I remember that I am a fellow idiot. When I feel superior to all those people that are taken in by such silly stuff, I remember that I also am taken in by so many things currently that I don't even see. Uh, When I start feeling superior to all those people who don't know as much as I think I know, it reminds me of how little I know, right? This invites me to humility. I don't have to compare myself to others to find my worth. I don't have to, I don't have to compare myself to others to, to find my value or my glory. Man, I'm a sinner, but you know what? I'm a sinner loved. <laughs> I'm that broken, but I am that loved. I am so loved that God sent his son. That's how loved I am. Not only am I that broken that that price had to be paid, I am that loved that God was willing to pay it. That will lift me out of my shame. That God saw me at my worst and loved me enough to deliver me from it. He saw things about myself I won't even allow myself to see. You know what I'm saying? But God so loved Steve that he sent his son to die that I might be delivered. Listen, when I put on the helmet of salvation, I remind myself of that fundamental truth that I am a sinner who is loved. That God sent Jesus to justify the ungodly. (laughs) And I'm the ungodly. And I am justified because of his work. And he did his work because of his love. You know, how foolish it is for us to take pride in the things that we take pride in. Pride in our, our platforms, pride in our, our, our partisan identity, pride in, in our work ethic, pride in our success, pride, how silly it is, right? All we're doing is comparing worldliness. My attempt to save myself looks better than your attempt to save yourself. My attempt to find the fullness of life apart from God looks a little bit better than your attempt to find the fullness of life apart from God. Neither one of us are finding the fullness of life apart from God, right? How foolish it is to comparatively, pridefully find our identity and somehow looking better in our own perception than others. The gospel humbles. It invites us out of this insane pride. And it invites us into this beautiful security. Listen, you are as secure in Christ as Christ is in the Father's love. Do you understand that? You are as secure in Christ as Christ is in the Father's love. When your heart condemns you, you need the helmet of salvation. When that voice comes in, whether it's your voice or the voice of a coach or a parent or, or whoever it is, and it comes in and it says, you are a failure, the gospel responds, the entire world has failed. And God still loves the world. I'm a backslider. I'm not where I used to be. And the gospel comes in and says, you are worse than you even know, but you're more loved than you ever understood. Yeah, but, but I'm full of doubt. And the voice comes in and says, God doesn't love you because you have so much faith. 
God loves you so that you will have faith. But I'm a complete wreck and failure. How could God ever work with me? And the voice comes in and says, don't you understand that that's the only kind of person God does work with? God came to heal the sick, not to comfort the well. The gospel comforts our shame. So it it silences our pride, it comforts our shame, secondly. It comforts our fear and makes us secure, right? It comforts our fear and makes us secure. Listen, God didn't send his son to condemn, but to love, right? God didn't send the, the son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Listen, the world is judged, but Jesus was judged for you in your place. And you are as secure as Jesus is risen. You would literally have to drag Jesus out of heaven and put him back in the tomb to even think that your security could be put at risk. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. In this world, you will suffer. He said, this world has has hated me and it will hate you, right? And by world there, we're talking about the worldly systems that are around us, which is why if you don't vote for a certain politician, people who are partisan are going to resent you and they're going to attack you and they're going to be angry at you. And and if you don't buy into certain ideas, people are going to defame you because because you're not one, right? The world is going to hate you. Worldliness hates the confidence that comes from the gospel. Worldliness hates it. But listen, even though you are going to have trouble in this world, even though people are going to do evil things, even though unexpected things are going to come in and crush you and hurt you, you are as secure as Christ has risen. That's the big story. Don't lose the scope of the story for the tragedy of a chapter. Jesus rose from the dead. And because he is risen from the dead, I can find comfort in my fear. Listen, he came to save me. He came to give me eternal life. Not a temporarily better life in this world, but to preserve me for a season in this world to deliver me into a better life in the world that he is bringing Because in the same way he's left, he's coming back again. He gave me eternal life. Eternal life. Listen, your greatest debt has already been paid. Your greatest problem has already been solved. Your greatest blessing has already been given. You're just waiting for the fulfillment of the promise. You are just waiting for for the inheritance to be delivered to you. It is as sure as Christ is risen. Put on the helmet of salvation and be at rest. When we put on the helmet of salvation, it comforts our fear and reminds us that we are secure. And then third and lastly, when we put on the helmet of salvation, it frees us from anger. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it. And he hasn't called you to go out into the world and condemn it either. (laughs) That's not the work of the gospel. You are not called to condemn the world. You are not called necessarily to even fix the world. You are called to do what Christ has done, to follow 
the one who moves ahead of you, your savior, your hero. And what has Jesus done? He's loved. You are called to boldly love. God's plan to redeem and restore all things comes through the power of love. He has called us to receive that love and move forward in that love, to be rooted and grounded in God's love, and then, and then moving forward in that love to love others. Listen, the world's a mess, y'all. The world's a mess. The political world, the economic world, racial, the religious And if we're not careful, we're going to allow all the things that are broken to provoke us into a constant state of anger. And anger is simply misplaced pride that thinks somehow it's our job to judge what God has not yet judged. That it's our job to sit in judgment because it's wrong. When God has in fact called us to love instead of to judge. He hasn't commissioned me to be the one who judges the world. He has commissioned me with the gospel to love even as I am loved. Listen, to put on the helmet of salvation so that it silences my fear. I'm just going to be real specific. Some of y'all need to stop listening to some people. You need to stop tuning in to certain news channels and stop listening to certain political pundits and reading certain political blogs. You, you just need, because all they're doing is spewing anger and fear. Anger and fear. A friend of mine uh, just recently said, you know, when the platform is fear, you have to continually generate new things for people to be afraid of in order to keep them energized. So that's what's happening is there is a machine that is continually seeking to magnify things to be afraid of, things to be angry about, things to be prideful of. Y'all, some of you just need to step away. The elders and I have been talking about calling the entire church to a season where we step away collectively from social media because social media has become a cesspool of worldliness. It always has been in some ways. There's some glorious and good things that take place in that environment as well. But, but right now, it, it, is, it is a battlefield in which we are called to continually put on the wrong helmet. We'll talk more about that later, but I, I just want to wrap up by saying... The gospel, when we put on the helmet of salvation, it clarifies our vision so that we don't see the battlefield, we see the mission field. If you feel justified speaking words of judgment and hatred toward anyone, whether it is, it is Biden and, and Kamala, or Trump and Pence, or, or Pelosi, or McConnell, if you feel justified doing that, you need to realize you're already in danger. Because when you put on the wrong helmet, you're not only a danger to yourself, you're a danger to others. When you spread that, you are actually working counter to the mission of the gospel that's been entrusted to you, the mission of love. You're called to love, not to judge. That doesn't mean you put your, your brain off. It means you put on your helmet of salvation before you engage difficult topics. It means you put on the helmet of salvation so that you can see clearly in the battle so that you're not creating more damage than good. You need to put on the helmet of salvation which will actually lift you up, y'all. Instead of weighing you down like the helmet of worldliness, the partisan helmet, or whatever it is that will end up crushing you to the ground, the helmet of salvation, the armor, the full armor of God actually brings its own strength and carries you in your helplessness through the battle. Let's put on our helmet of salvation. Let me close this in word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the gift 
that you've given us in Christ. I thank you for the helmet of salvation that delivers us and frees us. And Lord, I pray that you would expose to each one of us the ways in which we are tempted to grumble, ways we are tempted to feel self-pity or self-condemnation, ways we are tempted to nurse our anger or to, to protect our pride, ways that we inflame our fear. That, Lord, we might expose those things to the beautiful truth of the gospel and be delivered from them. Teach us what it means, Lord, to wear the helmet of salvation. We pray this in the glorious and mighty name of our King, Jesus. Amen.